Welcome to the Otherworldly Oracle official podcast. We're back and it's season three, which is in our brand new season. You'll hear us chat about everything from spellcraft to deepening your connection with your ancestors and the gods and even famous witches and worldwide mythology. We are your hosts, Alora and Kitty. And to kick off season three, we are exploring how to get started with one of my lifelong love affairs, the tarot. Today, we'll tackle a brief history, talk about acquiring your first deck and how to season it, how to know if tarot is right for you, effective study tips, and the many uses of tarot. I'll give you a hint. It's not just for divination. It's going to be an hour packed full of card slinging goodness. So grab your cuppa and settle in. Kitty, tell us a little bit of your background with the tarot and how you've used it in your practice. <laughs> so my background with tarot is not extensive. So this is going to be your episode, my tarot queen. <laughs> well, I kind of figured that since your expertise is more runes. I love the runes. Yes, that's that's my thing. So this is going to be your thing. I I would say that I have not been called to the tarot, which we've spoken before about in our runes episode about how you can be called to the runes. And I agree that tarot is also a calling. I'm more of a oracle card reader. I, I love oracle cards. I've been reading them for at least 12 years. I own a couple tarot decks that I've used on occasion, but I end up just reading them intuitively rather than actually learning the true symbolism behind it, like I should be. <laughs> and I have a copy of the original Visconti Sforza Taroki or Taroshi deck. I'm probably not pronouncing that right. If you're talking, <laughs> I'm sorry. And it's a pretty rad tarot deck it's which we'll get into but yeah that about sums it up well you know and I think that I think we definitely need to do an episode about the oracle because you're probably one of the few people that I have seen utilize oracle cards in a way that isn't just like warm hug style you know what I mean like a lot of people yeah. use them as like the affirmation or you know, you've just had your tarot read and it's given you a really big dose of reality <laughs> that you might yeah. not have wanted to hear. So an Oracle card is pulled to give you a little bit of sugar on top. So you don't walk away with a completely bitter taste in your mouth from divination. <laughs> true. And true. And it, it, it's very true. And there's something, there's some meme out there that shows the tarot deck as being like your sassy aunt. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Oh, yes. Yes, I know. Compared to the Oracle, that's like a, I don't know, like a happy, joyful life coach or something. <laughs> yes, yes. But that's what I'm saying. Like, you're one of the people that, the, like, one of the only people that I know that don't just use the Oracle in that way. Because I've seen you get really deep 
with an Oracle deck and not many practitioners that I've come across can do that or do do that. Oh, shucks. Thank you. I only speak of the truth. <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead and dive in, Laura. Why do you call the tarot your lifelong love affair? Okay, guys, this is a story. Story time with stories. Laura. <laughs> we love stories. Okay, so, <clears throat> so I got into the tarot at a very young age. I was only nine years old. Um, now, when I say that I got into it being nine, it's not, I wasn't academically studying the tarot at nine, right? So this is just the age where I became aware of the tarot. I was exposed to the tarot and I got interested in learning. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother used to read the tarot and sometimes she would invite me to interpret a card or two here or there. Um, and so I guess it was around 14 or 15 when I really started learning the tarot, it was, there was like a pivotal moment that I can point to where I was like, yes, um, we actually had a heap of snow that winter. Um, cause I grew up on the coast of Virginia. Um, and it was very unusual that we had snow. So we did not have the equipment to remove the snow. So of course everything closed. Uh, my mother was off of work for a week. I had off of school for a week. So during this week, there was literally nothing to do and nowhere to go. Everybody was basically stranded in their house. Um, so that week I asked my mom if she would start to teach me. So with nothing to do and nowhere to go for hours on end, she basically would hold up random cards and say, tell me what you see. And I would say things like, I see a bunny. And she would say, okay, well, what does that represent to you? And I would say spring and Easter and eggs. And she would say, okay. And what do those things mean to you? And then I would say things like resurrection, life, birth. And so on it went, um, she actually wouldn't let me use the book. And so this was how I learned. Right. So there's no checking the meaning in the book. Yeah. That's a great way. That's a wonderful way to learn. Like she literally shoved it under the couch and wouldn't let me retrieve it. (laughs) Well, she did a good thing. Yeah. And to this day, I swear it is the best way to learn how to read tarot. And so the book, the books that come with tarot decks, they do have value. Um, it absolutely, because each tarot deck is different and the artist and the author have different symbolism and different interpretation. So it is good to read the books, but it's not, if you are a beginner, I wouldn't suggest using the book to learn tarot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I can't, something else I want everybody to know is I cannot imagine what it is like being an adult trying to pick up tarot because it's always been a part of my life, you know, from the time I was little. So it's like, I I can't even describe what it's like, but I can't imagine picking it up as an adult because I imagine it would be far different. It's like skiing. Right. Yes. There you go. (laughs) Supposedly it comes much more naturally to you as a child. And I guess maybe you have like less area to fall. So it doesn't hurt as bad than when you're an adult. (laughs) Right. And like kids are innately 
intuitive and they haven't been exposed to the world and all its ugliness yet. So they, they can more easily, uh, connect with cards. I mean, this has just been my experience. Um, and so that's, that's not to say that adults can't learn tarot, right? No, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. You can. Um, I teach tarot to adults, <laughs> so yes, I know it's possible. Yeah. Um, and I do, and that's, that's what I do, but like me personally, I, I just commend every adult learner of the tarot because I can't imagine <laughs> yeah. being an adult and picking it up. Yeah. It's, I would, I would think a challenge and one that I have not been called to take. So <laughs> <laughs> Pretty cool story though. I love your background to your tarot love affair. That being said, run us through some of the types of tarot decks that are out there, because I think a lot of people think once you get a tarot deck, that's it. You know, tarot is all the same, but it's not. Oh no, no, it is not. So we're going to go in order of, well, it's not really in order, but I think the first one is definitely the most popular. Um, so the most widely used, I would say of the tarot decks that are out there would be the writer Waite Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, it was invented in 1909, 1910 by AE Waite, And the artistry was completed by Pamela Coleman Smith. This is the deck that is most widely used today. Like I said, it, uh, it is composed of 78 cards with 22 trumps and 52 minors in four suits. So that is the Rider Waite Smith. That's the one that you're probably seeing the most online in your social media feeds, all of that stuff. Yellow, the typical colors are like yellow and red, right? For yellow, what? like on the box for the Rider Waite Smith, the box for the. For- yeah. So for the traditional Rider Waite Smith deck, it's generally like, um, reds, yellows, and blues Yes, uh, are the artistries on the outside. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the one that Kitty mentioned, which is the Visconti Sforza. Mm-hmm. So this is the, oh, I like to say this is the OG tarot. It was created in Italy in the 1400s as a wedding gift. This deck is what we could call the original pip deck. The minor arcana were in suits, but had no artistic depiction other than the particular suit in the design number. So for example, the five of wands would literally be five wands on a card. There was no type of pictorial anything. Yes. And I want to just cut in real quick and say that I will post a you can find a video of just a quick, what do you call it? Like sneaky peek, whatever. <laughs> we call we call it a first look, walk through. Walk through, thank you. Flip through, what have you, of the Visconti Sforza. I will post it in the Otherworldly Oracle Facebook group. So if you would like to see a fancy walkthrough of that, you can join the group and check it out. Cool. I have seen, I have seen Kitty's Visconti deck and it is so cool. Um, it's very antique looking. Yeah. That's why I love it. I, it, 
it's kind of sassy too, really. I, I did actually interview that deck and it was very it, it, regal. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be, you know, that's funny that you say that because I said that it was a wedding gift, but I didn't say for who, uh, mm-hmm. it was, a, it was a wedding gift actually for Italian r- aristocrats. Yes. And it definitely so, has that attitude about it for real. <laughs> Well, there you go. Yeah. Okay. So the next deck I want to talk about is actually the Thoth Tarot. So some people call this the Golden Dawn. It's the same, same deck style. Mm -hmm. Right. It was painted. It was painted between 1938 and 1943 by Frida Harris as instructed by none other than Aleister Crowley, which we won't really get into any of that because People got strong opinions about Alistair Crowley, but we'll save the that deck- for the mirror's well episode. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we'll save that for that podcast. Um, and if you haven't heard Mimir's well, we're coming out with new episodes of that too soon. So the deck wasn't published until 1969, after both uh, Alistair Crowley and Frida Harris had died. This is basically the same structure as the Rider Waite Smith, but Crowley decided to change a lot of the symbolism um, as well as rename a lot of the major arcana or the trumps. So that is the major difference between the Thoth or Golden Dawn and the Rider Waite Smith. Interesting. So one of the modern, just to give you an example, one of the modern Thoth uh, style decks or Golden Dawn style decks would be uh, Dreams of Gaia, if anybody has seen that one. Also, the Osho Zen is another one that is in the Golden Dawn style, mm-hmm. um, if, if you're looking for examples to look at. Cool. Um, the next one is the Marseille Tarot. It was invented somewhere between 1650 and 1750 in Northern Italy, and it was introduced in South France when the French conquered Milan. However, Tarot de Marseille wasn't coined until the mid-1800s. There are 56 cards and four suits, but no major arcana. So there are no trumps. There are no major arcana in the Marseille Tarot. I kind of really love the major arcana, if I'm being honest. So maybe that wouldn't be the one for me if I ever did the tarot thing. (laughs) Well, yeah. And, you know, some people just make trump decks like all you get are the major arcana cards there's no minor arcana oh yeah (laughs) yeah and then last but not least we have the lenormand so what we still use today is originally modeled after das spiel der hoffnung i hope i said that right also uh which translates to a game of chance Mm-hmm. It was designed by Johann Kaspar Heichtel of Nuremberg in 1799 or thereabouts. However, the deck was named after Marie Anne Lenormand, hailed by the French as the greatest cardomancer of all time. Oh. The deck has 36 cards and is based heavily on playing cards. Now, I heard that that was more like an oracle deck. So that's interesting to me that it's actually a form of tarot. 
Yes. And I don't want to say that it's, I don't know how I feel about the Lenormand. <laughs> I think, and um, honestly, I think that's what other people have said too, when I've asked. <laughs> mm, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I feel like it's more like, I almost feel like it's more, it's less like Oracle and more like old style folk reading of playing cards. Hmm. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, because the, the, basically from my understanding of Lenormand, mm-hmm. the symbolism and definitions and all of that in the Lenormand can easily be transferred over to a playing card deck. Ah, gotcha. Because, cool. because they do have the designation. Most of them do have the designation of like three of spades or two of hearts or whatever on the cards. Right. Got it. Cool. Okay. What so that is, Oh, sorry. Go oh, ahead. no, I was just going to say, and that's like just a quick rundown of, of the different types of tarot decks. Cool. Thank you for educating us. You're welcome. I think that there are some people out there probably wondering how do they know if tarot card reading is right for them? Can you tell us about that? Yes. So do not come for me. (laughs) That's the first thing I'm going to say. Do not come for me, but I am of the opinion that tarot is a calling. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, you feel magnetically drawn to the cards. You may or may not have been introduced to them from a young age mm-hmm. or from a young age, you find yourself interested in the tarot. Right. And three, you have a dream, a journey, a spiritual experience where you are either instructed to read the tarot or the tarot features prominently in this experience. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, something of, of that nature. Yeah. And yeah. And I just, I know people are going to say that I'm gatekeeping or I'm this and that, but on it, like, honestly, I just, I feel like it's a calling that you have and it's not for everyone. And if I could just add on to that, I think you can be interested in it and check it out. Right. But if you're not, like you said, if you're not feeling magnetically drawn to working with them and it's not, it, it's not invading your, not, I don't want to say invading your dreams, but it's not entering your dreams or you're not constantly thinking about it and it's not coming naturally, then maybe you don't have a calling and that's okay too. And maybe there's something else. Right. And that's like, <laughs> yeah. And that's the second side of this. Right. And right. And the reason why I'm saying this is because, you know, everyone can benefit from the tarot. And so I'm not saying that having your tarot read isn't for everyone because it certainly is But I'm saying. Being a tarot reader is not for everyone because, you know, it's not something that you pick up and put down. It's like, it's a calling. It's a lifelong journey. Right. And there's like an ebb and flow in it. And I think in our current spiritual climate, it's a real disservice for people to say anyone can read tarot can is not should. And I say it's a disservice because I think about all the other forms of divination that are out there. 
-hmm. the person who's reading tarot and doesn't have a calling is completely missing out on what a badass rune reader or charm caster or bone thrower or shell reader or palm reader or whatever that they should be doing. Mm. That makes, does that make sense? Reach. Yes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I would love to see more shell readers and palm readers and tea leaf readers and, or tassiomancers or whatever the heck you call them out there. And you just don't see a lot of it. There's interest, but it's not like, you know, a big thing. And, and there probably are people out there that would be really good at these things. Oh, yes. Because so just to give you guys an example, the other thing, the other di- form of divination that I'm really good at is shell reading um, and not mm-hmm. not traditional shell reading. Like I'm talking. I can pick up random shells, put them in. A, I don't know if you call that shell reading or charm casting, but different different types of shells mm-hmm. and throw them out and from the configuration and the shells themselves, I can read that like tarot. It's weird. I know it doesn't make any sense. I don't think it's weird. I think it's kind of like if you can read the clouds or right. Yeah. Dreams or whatever, you know? Yeah. And you know what? And then like, don't get me wrong. There are systems of divination that I would freaking love to be good at. Like I work with Odin for God's sakes. Like I would love to be able to read the runes, but I don't read them because that's not a calling that I have. It's not, you know what I mean? Like I don't have that thing. We're kind of feeling that pull recently. No. So recently I have started working with them more. Okay. um, And they've been popping up at random, Mm -hmm. but I don't think that I don't think that it's strong enough at this point for me to say, okay, something's happening. I got you. And for those that don't know or don't follow the podcast or don't follow me, um, I've recently gone through a dark night of the soul type experience. I'm pretty much like a near death experience. So I'm still coming out of that and there are still transformations happening. And as a result, the runes have come into play a little bit more for me, but not, not to where I feel like I'm a rune reader. And let me just say that we are very happy to still have you here oh, in this earthly dimension. <laughs> oh, girl, you know, I'm, I don't go down that easy. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm glad. Very happy about that. Couple of, uh, a couple of life-threatening blood clots and heart surgeries and that ain't going to hold me down. <laughs> wow. I can't even begin to imagine <sighs> Okay. Back to the topic. Yes. All right. Let's say you've been called to read the tarot as a form of divination. How does someone go about acquiring their first deck? Cause there's a lot of, I don't know, old school rules we'll say that sometimes circulate. Right. That. Yes. Um, okay. So you can acquire your first deck as a gift. So this is the way that I acquired mine. Uh, but that's because it was from my mother who Mm -hmm. taught me. Um, so, but this is not a hard and fast rule. It's a nice tradition and sometimes can even be how, you know, that you're being called because I've known people who have been gifted tarot decks 
at random for like seemingly no reason at all. Right. And they're like, what do I do with this? And I'm like, yeah. uh, obviously something's happening here. Yeah. Um, but you can also purchase a deck for yourself. Uh, you should, in, in saying that you should never purchase your first ever deck on the internet. You can browse the internet for different decks you may be interested in, but I highly recommend going into a store to check these decks out, feel them in your hands, uh, because every deck has a, an energy and, you know, you may love some of the images that you're seeing online, but when you go into that store, the, uh, deck to check out the deck, you may find that those images are the only images in the deck that you like, or that deck actually has a funky vibe to it. So I highly recommend not purchasing your first deck over the internet. But can I, can I just say though, let's say you're in a part of the world where you don't have a Barnes and Noble or metaphysical shop in order to go and check these tarot cards out. Would it yep. then maybe be okay to order it? <laughs> Yeah. So don't get me wrong. Like when I say, okay, you can definitely order a deck online, but if you don't, if you get it and you don't vibe with it, yeah, there are heaps of resources online where you can, I mean, there's eBay, there's tons of groups on Facebook where you can trade and sell and all that stuff. Oh, if you're comfortable yeah. doing that. Oh, good point. Um, but you can also, yeah. So, I mean, there's heaps of things you can do. I just mean like most people have that ability to go to a store and check it out. So I, I agree with you. I just wanted to get your wheels spinning there. <laughs> well, well, the other thing is when I say don't purchase over the internet, I mean, so let's say that you find a deck that you think you like, you go to a store, a metaphysical shop, Barnes Noble, wherever, wherever you find this deck to be to check it out but you go to that shop or that store or whatever and you find that the deck is overpriced uh versus what you found on the internet you can absolutely go back to the internet and purchase that deck if you find that you really like it that being said there's a whole lot of um copyright infringement um ripping decks off um, basically people who are copying tarot decks and then selling counterfeit ones. So just be very careful where you buy them from. Shame, shame. Yeah. It's really sad actually. Cause just make I mean, through that town, like that woman in game of Thrones. Did you ever watch that? What do you mean? <laughs> Did you ever watch that show? Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to, what scene are you talking and about? And I can't, her name is escaping me now, but they made her walk through the town and they were like, shame, shame. Oh yeah, 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 Cersei. Yeah, Cersei, thank you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> How quickly we forget after that last season, but anyway. Oh uh, yeah, because that last season was shite. <laughs> I was so pissed at the end of that show. I was like, are you kidding me? I watched eight seasons for this. <laughs> Too bad the tarot didn't tell us that it was going to be the worst ever, but anyway. Oh, we got to do a podcast on witchy entertainment. Oh, for sure. That's, oh. that'd be a great thing. Yeah, that'd be fun. I'm going to write that down so I don't forget. <laughs> yeah, you know, we always say that. I just want to laugh about it because then I listen to the episode back and I'm like, 
Oh yeah, I guess I didn't need to write it down because I'll just remind myself by listening again. <laughs> True. Anyway. All right. Are you done All writing? Right. Yes, I'm done. Okay. So tell us once you have your tarot deck, is it important to cleanse and charge? And maybe you can go into how. Okay. So I'm actually going to run through this really quick because we have a whole podcast on cleansing and charging. Um, that was back in season two, I believe season one, I can't remember. Um, yes, season two. (laughs) So, uh, so yes to both, you can cleanse and charge decks when, um, we could do a whole episode, which we did a whole episode on how to cleanse and charge. Um, but So first, why, why should you do these things? You should be cleansing and charging your decks because they absorb or take on the energy of your clientele. So if you are reading for the general public, uh, so for example, let's say you do a reading for someone who's really negative as a person, you would need to, yeah, you would need to cleanse the energy from that deck before reading for others, because that can carry over into your next reading. Yeah. Um, this is, yeah, this is especially true. Like I said, if you're doing, um, in-person readings for the general public and as for charging your decks, you want to charge them with positive energy, source energy, oracular energies. Mine are continuously charging, uh, because I keep crystals on top of each of my decks after I use them. So we'll talk, we'll talk tips real quick for cleansing and charging. So when it comes to cleansing, Again, we're talking like you can do smoke cleansing. I like to burn cedar, dragon's blood, mugwort, eyebright, or sage for this. Um, so you just take the deck and you can use an incense stick, loose incense, whatever you've got, um, and take the deck card by card and cover them in the smoke. Now, if you don't have time to do card by card, fan them out, you know, like a card dealer. That's what I do. And, and weave them in, in and out of the smoke. With the oracle. Oh, I should have said all of this, all these methods also apply to Oracle cards, people. Yes. Any cards, yes. any cards. Yes. And runes. You can do this with runes too. Yes. So the second thing you could do is use the earth and bury them. So of course, don't take the deck out of the box and bury it. That could potentially ruin the cards. So I like to take my decks out of the box, place a crystal on top of them. and when you, you know, for the people out there who are like, well, what crystal do you choose? Well, that's personal to you and that deck you, you will just kind of know, I don't know how else to explain that. Yeah. Uh, and then you wrap them in a reading cloth to be buried in the backyard. You need to make sure obviously that you mark the spot that you bury them in. So you don't lose them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a really a way to cleanse, clear, and charge all at once. Uh, if I do this, I typically leave them for three to five days, depending on how much cleansing and charging they need. Also be sure, be sure to check the weather before you do this, because you don't want to do this when rain is forecasted, because again, you can potentially ruin your cards. This also works if you have big potted plants in your house. Um, same deal. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, okay. So you can also use sound to cleanse your tarot cards. So clapping, drumming, bells, music, oh, bells, uh, all of these things can 
take up negative energy. Bells. Go ahead. Uh, knocking on your deck is also a way to cleanse the deck though. This is more, if you're in a hurry and not necessarily something you'd want to do on a deck that is fresh out of the gate. If that right. makes sense. Agreed. I also blow on them with my breath. Yeah, yes. <laughs> that works as well. Um, as far as charging crystals, we've already talked about, you can yep. use sun and moon energy to charge your deck. Um, but I advise only using the sun on rare occasions as cards do fade over time and the sun will speed this process. So just be aware of that. Um, and also if you're leaving it out in the moonlight, I would advise you to look up the astrological climate before doing that and consider what you are also drawing into the cards. So for example, right now we are in Neptune retrograde. So when you're putting those cards out under the moonlight, you're also putting them out under Neptune retrograde energy, which is actually a really good energy because when Neptune's in retrograde, it takes off our rose tinted glasses and we see everything exactly as it is in reality. So those are the kinds of things that you want to take into consideration. Yeah. Very good advice. Um, and the last thing is wrapping and storing. So wrapping them in a reading cloth with sacred symbols on the outside will also charge them. So like if you have a wooden, a plain wooden box, you can program it to charge your decks by decorating the outside with power symbols. So bind runes, personal information, or astrological barcode, um, animal guides or animal, you know, spirit guides, um, animal spirits, etc. Very cool. I actually have a box that I use for my favorite deck that I also keep some ancestral heirlooms, small ones in as well. Mm. Okay. So getting to some listener questions, Christy asks, how can I use tarot or Oracle cards in other ways in my practice? So Kitty, I think I'm going to let you start this one off because she is asking about Oracle cards as well. So Okay. Let's do this. So other ways that tarot and oracle can be used. The first one is obviously in spell craft. I say obviously, but maybe that's not obvious to everyone. Anyway, it, it, the cards are a fabulous tool to use in your workings and you've already had some practice using it. So for truth spells, you would use cards like justice and the high priestess to seek clarity for help with transformation, maybe the death card, the wheel of fortune and the chariot would be great choices. And for protection, strength is a sound option. Also, if you're using cards in your workings, we recommend that you use a dedicated deck for this. Tarot cards and workings often get dirty with wax, dirt, ashes, herbs, oils, etc., etc. Also, being that there is only one type of card in each deck, you can choose to either buy multiple copies of the same deck, that can be expensive, or you can take a photo of the card and print it out to use for the working. That is genius. Yes. <laughs> and I... Well, I personally have our printer is also a copier. So mm -hmm. I can use it from any deck. It's witchcraft. The printer copier. Okay. 
This saves the card and also allows you to use it in many different types of workings. So for example, you can use it in a spell bag of some kind. You can burn it in a candle working to release the energy of the card into your life. We also recommend creating a section in your tarot journal for magic and spell workings. This turns your dictionary into an encyclopedia so that you can have a compendium of cards for divination and magic practices. Word. <laughs> Word. <laughs> That's excellent. What else? Laura? So you can also use them in shadow working, right? Because, well, specifically the tarot, and I don't know how you would use the Oracle this way, but I'm assuming very similarly, um, depending on your, the Oracle deck, but the tarot spans the entire spectrum of the whole of the human condition. So every archetype scenario, emotion are depicted. You've got the heroes, the villains, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, so applying these archetypes to your shadow working process can help you see parts of yourself from new and different perspectives. It also helps an individual dig deep into their own psyche due to the complex nature of the cards. I will say that Oracle is not the same as tarot in that regard. I think if you're doing deep shadow work, tarot is probably best. However, there are some Oracle decks that do give you more of a spectrum of the human condition, but there are a lot that are pretty, I don't know, on the positive side. <laughs> yes. Like the happy, joyful, bouncy life coach rather than your sassy aunt. So, yes, but there is, I can give you an example of an Oracle deck that I would use for shadow working. Uh, so that would be the magic of you Oracle by Fiona Horn. She is an Australian singer, songwriter, and witch. Mm -hmm. And that deck is highly shadow worky. So there are Oracle decks out there that are that deep. That you just have here's, to look here's for them, one I think. Too. Yeah, there's one that I just got kind of recently that's awesome. It's Seasons of the Witch, the Samhain Oracle by Lorianne Anderson, Juliet Diaz, illustrated by Giada Rose. Mm. And they're actually coming out with a Yule Oracle that I was going to pre-order, but I'm moving, so I didn't want to lose that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this Samhain, the Samhain deck is more on the, you know, I don't want to say darker side, but you know what I'm saying? It, 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 it would be really good for shadow work, I think. Yeah. And I think that brings up another good point too. I don't think that there's anything in our agenda that addresses this, but I will just quickly. Yes. Uh, some, some card readers will rotate their decks according to season or mm -hmm. Sabbath. Yeah. So yeah getting, uh, more, uh, autumn-y decks out during, uh, Mabin and Samhain. And it, that is perfectly a thing. Like this, this is the thing. It does happen. I so don't feel it. weird. I love it. I can't <laughs> wait to have the Yule Oracle. Cause I'm a huge winter holiday person. I think, you know, that because we talked about the bells on my, the jingle bells on my Christmas Yule overalls. So anyway, yes, yes, I know. <laughs> and you make the best cookies. Yes. Cookies <laughs> next to my mom. And that's a pretty high compliment. 
Oh, thank you. Okay, so how else do we use the tarot? So decoration, right? So lots of authors and artists, one of the other ways that they support themselves and make a living um, is to have a merch shop. So if there's a deck that you're really into, see if there is a merch shop directly from the artist, author, or publishing company, Mm -hmm. um, because you can get tapestries, rugs, shower curtains, linens, like all kinds of stuff, uh, that is tarot themed for sure. So, Oh, I have one to add. Yes. Also, you can use tarot to connect with the gods. Alora actually wrote an awesome article called how to use the tarot to connect with the gods. And that can be found on the website, motherworldlyoracle.com. You know, and I, (laughs) I often don't even, I I don't can like, I don't think about that because it's just so normal for me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Like, you know what I mean? Sometimes something just becomes so ingrained in your daily practice that you don't even remember that that's a thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So the next questions we're going to get into are from several group members who all had the same questions. Okay. So what is one of the best decks to begin with? Uh, My answer to this is it's personal preference because what might work for someone is not guaranteed to work for another. I always recommend going with a deck that sticks to the traditional symbolism as closely as as it can, because the ones that are abstract are usually are not as easy to grasp for beginners. But that being said, some people learn better with the abstract decks. So you really have to like try it out and see what works. Hmm. Trust me, I can't. I can't give you a go-to. Uh, I can give you some examples of what I think are good starter decks, uh, but that doesn't mean that they will work for everyone who's just starting out. Truth. Truth. Okay. So the next one is, how do I begin reading? Can I just start laying out the cards? Sure. <laughs> like, there's no rule that says you can't. I don't see why not. There are. So that kind of leads into the next question because the next question are what are spreads and what should I start with? Yes. Do you read spreads? Spreads? Do you read cards in a spread? Spreads. Oh, right. Okay. Not butter. Spreads. (laughs) Yes, I do. Okay. So that leads me to my next point. So spreads are configurations in which the cards are laid out in a particular order, according to the question being asked in a particular position. So for example, the most common is a three card spread that goes from left to right and typically denotes past, present, future, or above, below, within, et cetera. That one all the time. That's the pretty, that's the, yeah, that's the go-to. Yeah. So if you're a spread reader, I'd say start with the three card. Mm -hmm. Um, In my opinion, it gets you used to reading multiple cards cohesively rather than singular cards by themselves. 
Right. Reading, reading multiple cards together is different than reading them one at a time. Uh, and I think anybody who's been reading for any amount of time can pretty much say the same. But I also want to point out that not everyone who reads tarot or Oracle are spread readers. They, there's also what we call free form. So free form is where there's no configuration at all. You just start laying out cards and reading them like a story. I and do this. Too. Yeah. And this is called free form. Okay. I didn't know there was a name. Yeah. Or story reading. Cool. Um, and I am, so I used to strictly, like when I was younger, I was strictly a spread reader and I love, there's also a, um, like a discipline within tarot called spread craft, which I find that to be really fun and fascinating. Ooh. And it's where you make up spreads. Yeah. Uh, and good ones, <laughs> like really, really badass ones. Um, I love doing that, but the older that I've become, the more I find myself venturing away from that and just doing free form. Yeah. It's kind of, it's more like, I don't want to say to the point, but you're kind of cutting out all the architecture. <laughs> Yeah. And I think, um, I think you cut out some of the formality as well when you do it that way. There you go. Thank you. Not architecture, formality. Thank you. The words (laughs) aren't coming tonight as easily as they should be. (laughs) That's okay. Okay. Is there a specific way to shuffle and store them? No, (laughs) I mean, that's easy. No, there's not. Uh, but most readers I know either store them in boxes, pouches on bookshelves. Um, the only thing to keep in mind is that it is a spiritual tool. So whatever means of storage that you select, you should, you know, it shouldn't be at the bottom of your dirty clothes pile. So now with the shuffling, you do the, what is that called? Hand over hand. Mm-hmm. I, you ripple I, shuffle, don't you? Yeah. And I try to do the hand over hand, but it ends up being like a hot mess. And I I can't, I'm like, uh, like, it just doesn't work. So in the tarot world, there is a big divide between hand over hand shufflers and those that riffle shuffle. And it's like a friendly, uh, competition type thing, (laughs) but it really doesn't matter. It's friendly at all. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. What are you talking about? I just use the shuffle because that's how you shuffled like the Candyland cards when you were a kid, or at least that's how I did it. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So moving on. Yeah. Got it. I don't know why or how. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So the next question is what can I ask? And I get this one quite a lot. So there is an art to formulating questions for the tarot specifically. Um, You want to keep your questions very open-ended and self-centered. Everything you ask should be about what you can do in a particular situation uh, because we are the makers of our own destinies after all. Mm -hmm. Uh, So everything should be, what can I do about, or what can I do going forward? Things like that, because a lot of people make the mistake of saying things like, will he come back or will I get the job? What, instead of what can I do to increase my chances of getting this job? 
Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. It works better with Oracle too. Well, there you go. It's mm-hmm. all cardamancy then. Yep. Are there any no-nos to properly treating your deck? Are there times when it is not recommended to use them? Okay. So first of all, no-nos. Um, so like I said, treat them like a sacred tool, uh, because otherwise you'll be crying over ruined cards (laughs) because Mm. I, because I've, I've had some card accidents and I was devastated because it, it was my favorite deck, but also at the same time, it did give that deck even more character. It just kind of hurt the value of the deck. Right. <laughs> so I can't, I can no longer try to um, sell it if I ever wanted to, but not that I would ever want to, cause it's my favorite deck. But anyway, what did you spill your cabin Cabernet on the cards or something? No girl. First of all, I do not drink wine. I never have. And second of all, um, no, it was, uh, when we did witches in the woods and I didn't, I didn't leave them out, but I, they, they somehow got wet in the tent. Oh, bummer. Yeah. So I was like, no. So I had to lay them all out when I got home and some of them are just warped forever. So now that deck's pretty much retired, but I use it now more for spell work, deity connection, things like that. Yeah. So there's all, yeah, there's always other ways to utilize cards, even when they get damaged. Yes, I agree. Okay. And B the B part of this answer is, uh, Most readers worth their salt will tell you that it's ill-advised to read tarot for yourself when you are too emotionally involved or overwhelmed by a situation. This is usually because your energy affects the cards that come up. So if you're super anxious over something nine times out of 10, your deck is going to show you that you're anxious about it without giving you really a lot of help to work through it Mm -hmm. because it's mirroring your energy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So The other thing that can happen is that when we want something to work out a certain way and we throw cards about it, a lot of times we will see what we want to see rather than what is, because we just cannot accept that this situation might turn out any other way. Oh man. Uh, If my cards were, were like that synced up with me, it would be nice because typically my cards are like, (laughs) here's the truth of the matter accept it. You know, it's mm. kind of, even though, even with Oracle, I've had that happen so many times where I'm like, no, I don't like this card. I'm going to reshuffle. And then it, it comes back up. <laughs> yeah. But that's, but that's my point. So yeah. it, even if it does tell you like, no, this is not happening. Right. You will sit there and you will reshuffle and you will rethrow those cards. until yeah. You feel like you're going to get an answer that yeah. is acceptable. So the best advice that I can give everybody that's listening is make a reader friend, a tarot reader friend, and make this somebody that you can call up for help when you are too emotional to read your own cards. Trust me, every tarot reader out there has a friend, has a buddy. Like we, we run in the buddy system. (laughs) I've definitely asked you when I needed clarification on something that I feel if I, well, I did pull cards 
on the matter, but I wanted more, you know, clarification from an unbiased or mostly unbiased source. Yes. And I happily oblige. Yes. Because you're awesome. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Melina asks, if you're pulling a card and one or several drop out, do you use those cards or do you put them back and pull cards? I use them. Okay. So uh-huh. this is reader. This is reader preference. That's the first thing I'm going to say. So you use them. I will only read the ones that fall out of the deck generally. However, when they fall out of the deck, they have to be face up and not face down for me to read them. If they are face down, I leave them where they are and continue to shuffle until one pops out of the deck face up. If I'm reading a really large spread or story, uh, I will not read the cards that pop out and will instead focus on intentional pulls. But again, it's reader preference. So, and one of the reasons why the ones that come out face down, I don't read is because I feel like they're not part of the current story. Like they're kind of like side notes. So sometimes I will turn them over and add them to the story, but I feel like that they don't want to be part of the story and that that's why they've chosen to not pop out face up. Okay. That sounds logical. (laughs) No, it doesn't. Kind of, I don't know. I, I just, I guess everybody does it differently, like you said, but. Yeah, but it's reader preference, like right. hands down. Like there's no, there's no rule book that says this, that, or the other. True. You want me to just go? Okay, on? well, I think that that just about does it. Yes. I think it was a very informative successful first episode of season three. Yes. Super pumped. And of course we started off with one of my favorite topics, which just gets me jazzed to record for the rest of the season. Love it. All right, folks, go ahead. If you feel like it and check on tarot at the website, at our website, otherworldlyoracle.com. You can type tarot into the search bar on the right side. I think on mobile, it's towards the bottom and boom, you'll have some articles pop up. They're probably all written by Alora, being that she's the tarot goddess here. We also welcome welcome you to join our high vibing Facebook group, Otherworldly Oracle Facebook group. And also be sure to visit Alora's website at alorarain.com. We want to throw a shout out out there to all of our oracles for joining us, whether you're new or returning, subscribe to or favorite our podcast to be notified of future episodes. Help your magical sisters out and be sure to share our podcast and review us too. And remember, whether you're in the land of the Fae or the land of the ancestors, stay otherworldly.